everyone. Welcome back to ESG Decoded. I'm your host, Caitlin Allen, and I am so excited today to welcome Stephen Brown to the podcast. Stephen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Caitlin. And we are recording again at the Houston Podcast Studio, uh, which is super fun, great space over in Sharpstown. And, you know, just really excited to, to be doing this again. We'll see how it goes this time. <laughs> we had a few learning curves the first time, um, but as always, we welcome our audience's feedback on how we can improve. So with that said, let me introduce Stephen. Stephen Brown has had an incredible career um, spanning well over 20 years of government relations, public affairs, and energy sustainability experience. He was the 2014 Democratic nominee for Texas Railroad Commissioner, which made him the youngest African-American to win a statewide primary in Texas. So cool. As we we know that the Democrat didn't win, but but, <laughs> <laughs> but still really cool that you were able to to um, to win that primary. Second, um, I I mean he has just such an extensive career, so I'm going to name just a couple of highlights for you. But currently, he's the president of Capital Assets Energy LLC, which is a successful clean energy development consulting firm that specializes in financing retrofits of commercial nonprofit and multifamily properties with energy efficient and renewable energy improvements. To date, Capital Assets has secured close to $5 million in capital for energy efficient and renewable energy retrofits throughout Texas through the CPACE program. And I'll probably ask you to explain what the CPACE program absolutely. is a little bit yeah, further in. But Capital Assets has also helped to develop over 500 megawatts of utility scale solar, assists local governments on their green energy procurement strategies, and organizes communities around environmental justice, which we are going to talk about today on the podcast. Steve is also the founder and interim CEO of the Clean Energy Fund of Texas. Um, the, the Clean Energy Fund of Texas is focused on making the emerging green economy affordable and just for all Texans. And we're about to hear a lot more about that. So um, we, we're just so happy to have you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I can't wait to uh, dig in. Yeah, and and I know that it, I am reading right now because there's just so much. Um, but I promise we'll get quickly into the conversation here. I I want to just introduce this podcast with the with a few comments on um, uh, just in general about inter, uh, E and S. So we talk a lot about the E on this podcast, the environmental piece, because that's really the technical challenges that our clients are facing and that the industry industries in general, are, are facing and grappling with. Um, but we talk a little bit less about environmental justice and just transition and what does that mean. But it is really an important topic for um, folks in our audience, so corporates, folks in capital markets that are looking to align investments with um, certain ESG screening factors, building new portfolios throughout the economy, whatever um, the focus may be. And, and it is a, an important topic. And I think a lot of folks don't even realize that the Paris Agreement itself actually has um, an acknowledgement that a clean energy transition or a transition to a low carbon economy can't just be about the carbon in a vacuum. That is something I have said on the podcast and continue to say a lot. Um, the solutions can't be about carbon in a vacuum, but certainly that the, an entire economic transition can't really be done well without 
taking humans into account. And that's the social aspect that we're going to talk about. So I'll just, to set the stage here, read a couple of clauses from the preamble of the Paris Agreement, because I think that that they kind of help set the stage and, and just demonstrate that there is an acknowledgement worldwide that this is an important topic, even though, you know, we're often working in Uh, companies with a lot of engineers and we're looking at technical solutions, this is really an important piece, which is widely acknowledged. So first, I want to say this is again from the preamble of the Paris Agreement. Emphasizing the intrinsic relationship that climate change actions, responses, and impacts have with equitable access to sustainable development and eradication of poverty. And then dot, dot, dot taking into account the imperatives of a just transition of the workforce and the creation of decent work and quality jobs in accordance with nationally defined development priorities. I'm just going to leave that there (laughs) Um, for folks to understand. Yes. And I know this is an important part of your mission. So I'll hand it over to you, Stephen, and just tell us what all of this means to you. Well, and, and thank you so much for having me today and um, and for actually giving us a context through which a lot of my work actually evolves out of. Um, so at the Clean Energy Fund of Texas, we are literally centered on the notion that we can eradicate energy poverty in Texas. And that's what we do. And so we build frameworks around what that looks like, how that eradication can take place in a way that is in collaboration with the communities that we serve and in partnership with uh, stakeholders across the uh, across the industry. So, you know, if you look at, for instance, in the Houston area, in the greater Houston area, Center Point's service area has about 42% of the people living in low to moderate income households, okay? mm-hmm. uh, which probably equates to around 950,000 families. Okay, If you take a look at that and then drill down even further to how many of those families live in a situation where the cost of power is either way too expensive or way too unreliable. Okay, And so when we talk about energy poverty, we're talking about the scenarios that exist where so many families in our communities live in households or or they have meters where that are represented by um, power being way too expensive for them or just being way too unreliable. And so when we talk about the cost of power, um, really, I'm, I'm looking at in terms of what it takes for a family to pay for their to pay their bills right and what in some cases what trade-offs are they considering when the cost of, of energy is actually too high and, and and families actually make real trade-offs they have to think about groceries or transportation or health care or a 200 300 400 500 dollar you know power bill especially now in the summer and in some cases, they just choose to turn the ACs off. I mean, just imagine, you know, this past week in, in early June and thinking about, do I have enough money to turn my AC units on, right? But that is a challenge that people are really facing. If you look at the numbers in, in this area, about 500,000 families are experience energy burden, thus that between 6% and 10% of their income is being used to pay for power. Wow. Now wow. the median family um, percentage is about th- two to three percent. Okay, and so you're talking about where, where when poor people are paying more of their salaries on on energy, then they are experiencing an energy burden that contributes to 
energy poverty, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then the other part of that is simply where they don't have sufficient infrastructure in the community to support the grid and harden the grid in those moments where of extreme weather events such that power goes out earliest in those communities and it stays off the longest in those mm-hmm. communities. And so there's a reliability issue and then there's a, a straight income um, barrier as well. And so what we want to do is um, our goal for the Houston area in particular is to take that 500,000 number, that, that population mm-hmm. number, and try to positively impact at least 100,000 of those meters by 2035. Wow. And Great so, goal. yeah. And so um, yeah. our friends over at HARC have helped us to design a framework to be able to measure the impact and, and what we've come up with so far. Can is I, that, sorry, just jump in and I'll define HARC. So yeah. the Houston Advanced Research Center, but right. everyone in Houston just calls it HARC. <laughs> we'll I'm, add a link. Go ahead, okay, please. Good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, give them a plug. The HARC uh, uh, <clears throat> CEO is on my board. So we have a great relationship with HARC. Yeah, it's a wonderful organization. It is. It yeah. is. And so kind of some of our, you know, back of the envelope numbers around what impact we can actually make suggests that by 2035, if we're able to impact these meters, and we'll talk a little bit later about what we mean by what impacts are we're, we're speaking mm-hmm. of, but if we're able to do our work successfully and execute on our work, we should be able to reduce carbon emissions by 3 million tons. Wow. By, by 2035. That's Which amazing. is about 10% of the city of Houston's 2040 climate action goal. Wow. Which is about 33 million tons. So there's actual measurable, quantifiable, empirical ways in which we can eradicate energy poverty in the city of Houston. I just, I think this is such a great example for people because it's so concrete. And when we talk about, you know, sometimes it can feel, it can feel nebulous, right? right, Oh, well environmental justice, carbon emissions, but carbon emissions is just a number. Mm -hmm. It's not just a number. It doesn't have to be just a number. And I think this is such a great example that brings all those together. So your fund, um, the Clean Energy Fund of Texas, Mm -hmm. that you're building out will, uh, with those goals, will be able to have a social impact, meaning that poverty eradication -hmm. eradication piece Mm -hmm specifically on energy poverty, right? But which also has knock-on impacts to general financial well-being, right? Right. Because like you're saying, you're reducing the need to make those types of trade-offs with Mm -hmm. food or healthcare. So actually impacting the neighbors that are our neighbors in Houston in a positive way with that co-benefit, which is the emissions reduction benefit. And that's, it's just such a great example for people to understand that these things are are connected mm-hmm. they're they they aren't separate they don't need to be separate you can you really can i hate to say kill two birds with one stone the mm-hmm. kind of old cliche but mm-hmm. in a in a way it is you can thoughtfully yeah. with with policy with innovative finance which right. is really where you have your expertise mm-hmm. come up with these models that that have those impacts and that are quantifiable and and measurable. Yeah. So super yeah. exciting. Tell Good. us more. Okay. So Good. tell us more. Tell yeah. us yeah. about the 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 fund itself. Good. Okay. So let's dig into what those impacts are. Right. Let's so do what, it. what our what our big buckets are. I typically classify our work under the three A scenario. Um, okay. Under awareness, accessibility, and affordability. Okay. And so let's take each one of those individually and, uh, and, and really dig deeper into what those, those buckets mean. 
Um, for awareness, we're looking at opportunities to grow platforms around energy literacy, mm-hmm. financial literacy, um, green workforce development, and uh, and just advocacy in general, right? Adv- advocating around policies that will promote and accelerate an environmental and social equity, justice, legislation in this state and throughout the country. So in addition to that, the green workforce development and advocacy. Um, With energy literacy, um, what we want to be able to do is we want to help to allow families to better understand the energy contracts that they sign on Mm. with the retail electric providers, particularly, especially in deregulated markets like in Houston and Dallas. There's just so many, so many options. So many options, (laughs) so many products on the market. Hard to, Um, it's hard to navigate. It is, it is. Even for folks who know this stuff, it's hard to navigate, right? But it's it's especially difficult for those families um, because Mm. we've already said that they, they have an undue energy burden already. And so if we're able to help better educate them on which products make the best sense for them economically, as well as identifying renewable products as well, right? Products that are using renewable generation to to sleeve into their into their homes. Again, kind of the, the killing two birds and one stone scenario exists. And so what we want to be able to do is help to teach and educate families on how to understand what they're signing up on, how to be how to be, how to be better at um, um, being energy consumers, right? Mm-hmm. And so we can get them to to get their, you know, uh, kilowatt hours now from say, you know, 18 cents to 12 cents, then that's increased, you know, a, a positive cash flow for, for them and, and help to reduce that, that energy burden that we've discussed. So we have that, right? And then obviously in terms of um, creating a community that is involved in this just transition and being able to participate as green workforce, um, you know, participants, you know, building out opportunities in communities to be able to access those training development programs and uh, and be part of the change in their mm-hmm. communities. And so I think that's incredibly important. If we look at accessibility, accessibility really centers around building a resilient infrastructure in these communities to be able to address the reliability issues related to the, 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 the grid in the state of Texas. And so we're working with a number of different partners, whether it's the city of Houston, Harris County, even the Department of Energy through their National Community Solar Partnership, where I serve on the credit lending working group, trying to develop a scalable framework through which we can deploy more community solar, community battery assets in the communities, in, in these communities in particular, such that these, commu- the, these community members have the opportunity to be direct off-takers uh, with community solar as- uh, assets. And you mentioned before, I was involved in some pretty big utility-scale work, which is great, but it only indirectly benefits the people that I'm talking about that we're serving. But what if we, instead of that, you know, instead of doing one or two big ones, what if we did a handful of smaller ones, uh, whether they are ground mounted or um, rooftop aggregations or what have you. Because remember, again, that only about half of the people in the country can never get, you know, rooftop solar, either because they live in apartments or because they have inadequate rooftop space. And so a community solar project can help to allow families to access solar in a way that they otherwise may not have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Add to that, crowdfunding platforms through which these community members can also be, can also invest in the projects too, Hmm. right? And so, you know, we're talking about opportunities for wealth creation now, 
Mm. And and it may it doesn't have to be a thousand dollars. It could be a hundred dollars. It could be two hundred dollars. But 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 giving the community the ability to have some stake in the game, right, and be able to to ha- be an equity shareholder of of these assets. So the community solar piece is very important to us. Mm-hmm. In addition to the community battery piece, and and obviously you know when the grid goes down, you know having resources in the community that the families can tap into to restore their power energy storage is equally important. And so we want to be able to get those assets um, in the communities in, in, in the city of Houston between again now and 2035, which is our big, our, which is our big, uh, between now and 2035, which is our big goal to be able to have that, that impact. And then lastly is affordability. And this is when you get into the bread and butter of the actual financing component of what we do. What we're looking to do is we're looking to finance energy efficiency, renewable energy, EV infrastructure, for electric vehicle. Yes, electric vehicle um, infrastructure to allow for single family households, multifamily households, nonprofits to be able to um, affordably do projects for their homes and for their organizations so that they can reduce their energy consumption. Okay. So if you look at what we're what we have spanned, um, we've gone from let's reduce the rates. Let's harden these communities' access to the grid, and then let's reduce the consumption that they have as a, as consumers, as energy consumers. All help to achieve the eradication of energy poverty that we discuss. And so these um, financing models are really structured in a way that the projects themselves pay off the investment required mm-hmm. to do the project. Right. And in some cases, the cost of the project is less than the savings that you get from energy, the reduction in energy consumption. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the, the, the goal is that we can be able to achieve two things. The first is allow for a more environmental, healthy building structures in communities that otherwise don't have the same access to capital, but to allow families who live in these structures to be able to have a positive cash flow through which they're saving more every single month than they're paying for the improvements themselves. Wow. Such a cool model. I mean, tell us a little bit about the actual, you know, kind of where you are. I know the Clean Energy Fund is relatively new, even though you're the CEO of another company this particular nonprofit is relatively new. Do you want to tell us a little bit about where you are in the process? I know you have your first um, launch at the end of the month, I think. Is that right? Well, there was we, a first. We, um, yeah, we, we, we've secured our, our, our first um, grant agreement. Thank you. That yes. we. Uh, that knew there we, was something big happening. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's really big because it's going to help yeah. us to build capacity to do this work and yes. and even to create some value um, within the organization itself. And so it's a huge opportunity for us. And we're so fortunate to uh, from our, our, our grant partners that they see the, the value in what we're doing. Uh, and we hope hopeful that that more folks will join on on board and help us. To, to, to do this work and scale it uh, at the at the rate that it needs to be in order to make the impact that we want to make. So that's so that's that's essentially where we are, right? So we're in a position where we are partnering with different national partners to introduce these products into the market, the, the lending products into the market. Mm-hmm. And we hope and right now we have um, the nonprofit organization and the multifamily energy improvement loan already in existence here. And so oh, we're cool. working with some partners out of Connecticut to to scale that. By the end of the year, we hope to have the single family 
offering uh, available as well. And then down the road, we want to be able to offer some some small commercial C-Pace offerings. And so you mentioned C-Pace in, yes, in the introduction. It's a, it's a good uh, point to ask you to, to explain that program. Yeah, because, all, because the, the entire mm-hmm. lending framework is built off of the C-Pace model. Okay. And so C-Pace was a law that the legislature created back in 2013. The Texas legislature, Texas legislature yes. Created in 2013. C-Pace exists in now, I think, the majority of the states, if not majority, pretty close to it. But essentially what it does is it classifies these energy improvements, these types of energy improvements that we've talked about today as a public good, as a public benefit, such that you're able to designate the areas that are served as special districts, the same way that you can create a special district for infrastructure improvements mm-hmm. or some new sewer line that's going up or some landscaping that you want to do in a, in a mm-hmm. management district, for instance. Right. Clean energy now is can be classified as a similar special district. Oh, interesting. Except that it's not a geographic area, it's a tax parcel. So on that one tax parcel, you can be designated a special district whereby you're allowed to make these clean energy improvements in a way where you can pay them off in a in a longer term, mm. right? And so that term could be 15 years, 20 years, 25 years even. Yeah. It's going to match the useful life of the stuff that you're putting there, right? Mm. And so if you have solar panels that will last for 20, 25, 30 years, you can extend the financing out that long. Mm. And so when you do that, now the cost that you're paying is a smaller cost because you spread it out. But the savings that you get is usually greater than the cost. Mm-hmm. And so in Texas, the way that the CPA structure, CPA stands for Commercial Property Assessed Clean Energy. Thanks. And so the <laughs> way that uh, CPA is structured in Texas, one of the one of the, the consumer protections is that every CPA project has to pencil, which means that over the life of the of the term, the cost of the project has to equal the savings that will be generated from the project. And there has to be a third-party engineer to come in and verify those things before you close on the, on the financing. So although I kind of be, cut my teeth in that in green finance through CPACE, I quickly understood that CPACE was good, but it wasn't for everybody, right? Mm. It takes a very sophisticated borrower um, mm. CPACE lenders are really looking for large projects to fund. Um, think in Texas, the largest may be like a $20 million project. Wow. Yeah. The smallest, which is the one, one of the ones that, that I did. Actually, I think two of the, two of the smallest ones in Texas are the ones that I did because okay. I'm, my focus had, was on, on small businesses. Right. And so I think we, the smallest were like $76,000. But I quickly realized that no one else is going to do a $76,000 C-based loan if it's not me, right? And so mm. we, we basically created the Clean Energy Fund gotcha. to be able to provide capital in that market space where PACE isn't playing in, which is basically half a million dollars and less, right? Where kind of the institutional commercial lenders aren't quite there yet in terms of having green lending products for home improvements and for multifamily and that sort of thing. And in Texas, we don't have a residential PACE program, Hmm. right? And so CPACE is only for commercial businesses, right? And that could include nonprofits, but it's, it's basically commercial industrial business, nonprofit, what have you, but it cannot be used for residential homes and it cannot be used for public entities. Huh. 
where so that's another opportunity where we can step in and deploy capital for for families um, because we find that the 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 disproportionate incidence of of energy poverty mm-hmm. is going to be with single families not so much multifamily, right? Sure. With multifamily, you're able to pull yeah. the resources and make the improvements to the apartment complex in order to keep the value, in order to keep the rates where you want them to go. Uh, single families don't have that same luxury. And so, you know, you look around and you'll see that the play, the low-hanging fruit, where we can get to that 100,000 number of, of meters, is going to be predominantly in the single-family space. Mm. And without a, a yeah. solution like the one we're offering, you know, through our green lending platform, um, those families will never be able to access the kind of capital that they need to make the improvements on their homes, um, to be able to, to afford EV chargers so they can, you know, gravitate and pivot into this electrification of, of, of transportation market as well, mm-hmm. which is a big piece of our goal mm-hmm. is that we have to be able to decarbonize transportation and we have to make sure that poor people have the ability to afford EVs. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because we know the long term maintenance of them are cheaper, but the upfront costs are pretty high. Yeah. And so how do we balance that out in such a way that the EVs can be affordable? And that's that's one of the solutions that we're working towards as well. Oh, it's just it's so cool to hear about. I mean, I, I think one of the, you know, climate change, that discussion can often be a lot about the risks and right. the negative side of of all the Oh, scary things that we need to to work on, right? Mm-hmm. But I always, I mean, I'm a I'm a pragmatist, but I'm also an op- optimist, and I've always felt like focusing on opportunities is what helps get people excited, and yep. it it makes me think of another episode I did with Jennifer Gidry of Precision Drilling, which is a um, oil field services provider, mm-hmm. right, and a drilling contractor, and she um, and I talked about how. She's how she's leading teams through the transition at a at a company that's you know part of a a, a traditional industry that is undergoing a lot of transformation right. currently, and she said it's it's the shift in the leading happened for her when, um, and I'm kind of paraphrasing uh, that when when folks realize that this has been an opportunity to innovate, yeah, right. and right. when what you're doing is innovating in the finance space, right? Yeah. How do we what are those new products? How can we think differently about how we structure things? How can we access, like you said, there's a there's a state program. So say coming from the policy realm, mm-hmm. um, tying that to to capital markets, and then tying that with an this overlay yeah. of an impact focus on right. how do we reduce poverty, right. how do we reduce energy poverty, and you know this comes back to the environmental justice conversation, which is. You know, I know hard for some people to hear about, but the 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 truth is we had segregation in this country and still do a de facto type. I don't know if that's the right legal term or not, but how do we kind of there's a there's an element of of righting the wrong um, with all of this of where we can say, okay, folks were left out of this type of boom or that type of boom or the folks where the highest air quality impacts happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know there's cancer clusters. Right. You know, this is all very well documented, right? right? So I, I love the idea that you're really tapping into the opportunity side mm-hmm. of of the transition to a low carbon economy. Yeah. And, and then that just transition piece. And I, I think a lot of companies, you know, when they look at their mm-hmm 
uh, GRI, which is the Global Reporting Initiative um, framework for reporting ESG topics. When they look at SASB, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, which is now Value Reporting Foundation, but we're all still calling it SASB. Mm-hmm. When we look at that for certain sectors, there's actually indicators now that that address the just transition piece, you know, that are saying, okay, well, your workforce and coal is a great example. Like, mm-hmm. what are you doing if you're a coal company to help retrain workers? Mm-hmm. And what are you, you know, how are you thinking about the future of the workforce? Yeah. So I think, you know, a lot of folks will say, oh, that doesn't apply to me or no, it doesn't apply to my company. But actually, if you look a little bit closer, mm-hmm. it, it probably does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. Not only does it, does it probably apply, but we offer opportunities for a lot of, you know, partnerships to, to be, to, to emerge. And we're looking for those partnerships. You know, we want to be able to, to help you and help, help your, mm-hmm. your listeners find their place in this, this kind of a, this, this disruptive, but opportunistic moment that we live in to be able to lift all boats. Because, you know, as you mentioned earlier in the introduction, the energy transition doesn't happen unless it's a just transition. You cannot just transition the affluent people and affluent families and affluent countries. You have to be able to dig down and bring everybody up at the same time or else the goals don't happen. None of the goals happen. You know, we don't achieve what we, what we seek to achieve. And so we hope that we offer enough frameworks through which your listeners or your viewers are able to identify, you know, something that might excite them in this and help us to, to, to carry out this work and be a part of it. And at the very least, you know, talk to us. Yeah. There's a there's a governance part of ESG too, and and I would be more than happy to assist you all developing your strategic plans um, from a from a leadership level, you know, on your board of directors or whatever, through this lens, and to help you identify opportunities where you can create value for your companies and still do good at the same time, because that is the future of commerce. That's the future yes. of energy. Uh, and that's the, that, that is the, 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 the best future through which we want to see our um, families and our children live in, in, in a world where there's a balance between industry and health and safety and the environment. Yeah. For everybody. For everybody. Yeah. For everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's it. We're done. <laughs> what else could we possibly say? That was so perfectly wrapped up. Thank you so much. No, thank no, thank you. And and I just I would encourage folks to reach out to Stephen. Mm-hmm. There's we'll include, of course, links in our resource boost as always uh, for you to contact the Clean Energy Fund. But I do think for you know the folks that typically listen to ESG Decoded, who really are often the people in in that seat at a company. Right. Or at a at a bank, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to not just mitigate the risk, but also participate in the opportunities. And I think what what this the model of the Clean Energy Fund is a really awesome example of of how to participate in the opportunities while also really doing good and doing well by our our whole community. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Thank Thanks you so, so much. Thank My, you. It, this has been great. This Real has been pleasure. so fun. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Same here. Well, Thanks, everyone, for listening, as always. And I guess viewing now. <laughs> I'm still getting used to the fact that we're, we're doing video, too. I had but to dress up for this. It, yeah, I know. I was like, darn it. I've got to, like, actually put shoes on. 
So yeah, as always, welcome your feedback. We love to hear from you about what resonates. And then, um, like I said, if you want to get in touch with with Stephen, please do. Um, he's a wealth of information on on all of this, all, all the intersectional topics, but um, really, especially the finance piece too, which is just so fascinating. Yeah. So thank you so much. Yeah.